Overbrook Episode 10, Edge of Sanity. Content Warning, Major Character Death and Car Crash. Thank you all for coming to our summer sermon and theater camp. I know that these summer months can be a bit difficult to manage, but with all of us wearing these heavy black robes and it being damn near 90 degrees most days. <sighs> but the bones beneath will look favorably upon you all for your commitment. First order of business. A river of coffee has begun flowing down Willerby, nearly flooding most of the north section of town. It is quickly being drained by the bottomless potholes on both East Bath and Laura Lane. However, as such, both our members, Kyle and Yagroth, are unable to make it. <clears throat> I suspect the culprit of the coffee cascade is none other than our resident lighthouse, Wynne Elmhurst. <laughs> Knowing him, he locked himself in a room and drowned to death, or the hot coffee boiled him alive, or... <laughs> or... Or... He slipped, hit his head hard enough to pass out, and then drowned to death. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking idiotic way to go. God. You'd think Vincent would take some joy out of it, huh? I mean, what does she expect? He's the fucking lighthouse. That's what they do. <laughs> Not that she'll listen to me, though. She never listens to me. It's always, Locke, you're a creep, this, and Locke, you're a pathological liar, that. Alright! Let's not get too upset. It's only natural for Vincent to disregard my warnings. After all, she doesn't see the way I see. She doesn't get these visions. Visions of cannibalism in black skies. Visions of credit card companies building themselves on top of ruins. She doesn't see the timelines. She can't see that for every decision she makes or he makes or that anyone else in our Overbrook makes, there's a different decision in another Overbrook. In this Overbrook, I greet a wonderful room of committed community members. And in another Overbrook, I am alone. In a dimly lit basement, not unlike this one, but alone nonetheless.
and that over Brooke. I still have a sister. And I eat breakfast with her that morning. And every morning before that. Rows upon rows of Overbrooks stacked on each other like Jenga. When one thing moves out from Overbrook, it gets put back right at the top in the new one. I see the movements in each one, the way an arm may tap a block just to see how easily it'll come loose. I see people both moving and still the choices they make and the path they take. It doesn't take much, really. Every slight turn of the head is another peek through the fold. A kaleidoscope of possibilities. There's an elevator in town. A building with red bricks and rusted windows where the residents there avoid the elevator. They don't know why they do it, but they do it because it is what they have to do. These faceless residents, for whatever reason, walk up and down several flights of stairs to avoid the elevator. It's a sleek elevator. The light it emits is warm and inviting. If anyone else were to move into this small apartment complex, they might even be tempted to go inside. Nonetheless, the faceless residents don't. But those with faces, those with eyes and a nose and ears, outsiders who came to live within Overbrook, may take the elevator on a particularly taxing day. In another timeline, Vincent would notice this. Moving into this apartment complex, she would note the elevator with wide doors and a glow that made you want to bask in it. The button is dusty, like no one had ever dared push it. When she walks towards it, she notes a cobweb. The elevator hums. It is waiting. And when the door to the stairs squeaks open and a faceless resident enters it, preferring the flights to a quick ride, Vincent nods and understands. This elevator is not to be trusted. In another timeline, the elevator is always full. Faceless residents stand in line to take it even one flight. Once they go up, they wait until they can take it back down. They are excited, eager even, to ride the elevator. Vincent nods and understands. These residents are freaks. In that timeline, I ride the elevator all the time with my older brother. There's nothing of note about it. It's simply just an elevator. There's an overbrook with an obelisk in the center. It's cylindrical and slick to the touch, also humming. You'd be surprised by the amount of things in overbrook that hum, like it wants to keep reminding you that it's alive, or maybe it wants to sing you a song, but has no mouth. There's a story like that, I think, except singing isn't what that person wants to do at all. Where was I? The obelisk, right, the obelisk. Uh, the obelisk is so tall 
It blocks out the sun, a mile-long shadow that cuts through the town, and when you step through it, you can't help but shiver. In another overbrook, one where the streets are always flooded, people have to get around on a web of interconnecting bridges. This is difficult. There's always traffic, and some bridges aren't real. They look real, even, solid enough, but when you step over them, you go straight through into the dark waters below. There is nothing in the waters that is fit for human eyes. <laughs> it's a good thing that the residents in Overbrook don't have eyes then, huh? <laughs> what is it that Vincent and Wynne call the residents? Generics, Jens, and Eric's. Not very creative, and honestly, if my head was the shape of an ice cream scoop, I'd be offended myself. But I guess the names that Vincent comes up with aren't meant to be flattering. They're meant to be... Descriptive, I suppose. Sometimes she's right. Other times she's wrong. Like with us. She calls us a cult. Did you know that? Absolutely inaccurate. Abysmally wrong. I mean, sure, we all wear these black robes and convene at odd hours, and yes, my visions are prophetic. But a cult... <laughs> ...is simply an egregious accusation. We're a theater group. We tell stories, perform plays, and above all, we entertain. That's what we're really here for, isn't it? To have fun. Who cares if the plays are about my visions, really? It makes for good content. Content that is a- Oh! Hold on, hold that thought. New vision incoming. This one is about a girl named May. Freshly 18 and out of town or moving to Overbrook for college, she's confused, honestly. Of the numerous colleges she applied to, she certainly doesn't remember applying to Overbrook Community College. But who was she to deny early acceptance with full scholarship, not to mention free room and board? Do community colleges even have dorms? She wouldn't know, obviously, she's never been. Her high school counselor was skeptical, rightfully so, really. Mrs. Ramirez had never heard of Overbrook before, but there was a website, and it seemed to be an accredited institution. Best of all, it was out and away from her hometown. Away from the same old, same old schedules, the same old people she's known since kindergarten, and were even present during the weed pizza incident. And I thought Overbrook was a small town. This chick was way too known in her community. Too visible. I guess it makes sense that Overbrook found her when it did. She was desperate to leave, to feel anonymous again. And what better way to feel anonymous than to go to school in a town with faceless residents where death lurked on every corner? Very few actual humans to speak of here, honestly. If you're lucky, you die. If you're unlucky... Well... May packed whatever she thought she'd need and whatever she thought she wouldn't, but still wanted for comfort. She packed everything she could into two medium-sized suitcases. Her goal was to get an on-campus job immediately and buy anything else she was going to need. Her dream job would have been to manage the social media accounts of Overbrook. They were painfully out of date, with only a single MySpace page and an empty Twitter. But she'd settle for working in the dining hall, assuming a community college even had that. She'd miss her dog. She knew that much. 
Her dog was this yappy little chihuahua named Buck, who never yapped around her. So, she rightfully assumed that she was Buck's favorite. But, on this particular day, when she was loading her suitcases into the old trunk of the beater car that her dad let her take, Buck made a new sound that May had never heard. Buck whined. His eyes were wide, and he shook while looking towards May. She could see her own reflection in those big black pupils, and it was then she noticed that Buck wasn't so much looking at her as he was looking around her. His eyes landed just above her shoulders like some invisible force held its hands right there and stared back at him with a mocking grin. At least, that's what May imagined. Her imagination was always getting the best of her. <laughs> she chuckled to herself and pet Buck one last time, promising that she'd be back for fall or Thanksgiving break, whichever came first. She hugged her parents, stepped into her car, and rode off in the direction of the sun. It was halfway there that she wondered to herself why she never thought to visit first. That's what most of the kids in her class did anyway. They visited the colleges they wanted to go to. It helped them decide whether or not they would actually enjoy their time there. But May didn't do this, no. In fact, it never occurred to her that she should visit Overbrook. The other colleges she applied to were out of state, so obviously she couldn't just take a plane out of there. But this college, it was less than four hours away, according to her GPS. She could have gone during the weekend. Suddenly, May was very nervous. She chose Overbrook because it was the cheapest in out of town, but not so far away that she couldn't pop back home for Snuggles with Buck. What if OCC was terrible? What if it was nothing like the website she would hate to have to make the trek back home, unload her suitcases, and spend the rest of her year trapped in the suburban hell that was, uh, wherever she's from? Sorry, these visions don't extend much further than Overbrook. Either way, she was terrified this would be one massive mistake, but... Then she rolled into town, and it seemed so peaceful. The roads were a little weird, some potholes here and there, but nothing she couldn't handle, and the people were so nice. They waved as she drove by, the lawns of the houses were neatly trimmed, and look, there was even a museum in town. Maybe this wasn't a massive mistake after all. It took May a while to find the housing complex she was looking for. She kept getting sidetracked by the cute little shops she saw lined up in a row, there was even one that looked like an antique shop. A boy her age with brown hair and a blank expression was sweeping the sidewalk out front. He was actually kind of cute, if it wasn't for that eat-sleep game shirt he wore paired with, ugh, khaki shorts. The guy needed a better wardrobe, for sure. The housing complex wasn't that far from the college, so she opted to find the college first, then work her way from there. One thing she noticed about this town that was very opposite from hers, was that it didn't hesitate to let the trees in. Directly in town, on the other side of a residential area, there was a small forest, which looked very picturesque. She could imagine going out there to have a small picnic, if she wanted to. On the other side of the forest was the college. The buildings were fine, she supposed. They were brown and beige in all the most boring places, nothing sleek or collegiate about it at all, but maybe that was just her judging it from the outside. After all, she hadn't gone inside at all, and she wouldn't. At least not yet. Because May was starting to get hungry, and she still hadn't made it to her room. 
That was now her top priority. No more looking around, no more procrastinating. She was going to go straight to the housing complex, grab her keys, and throw her suitcases into her room before she even blinked in the direction of another landmark. She circled the block. Once. Twice. Three times. On the fourth time, she finally found what she was looking for. A chalk-drawn arrow on the sidewalk labeled housing. That was a weird way to announce where to go, but May was on the verge of pulling out all her hair, so she would take it. She followed the sign all the way past a parking lot in a park. There was a family in the park, she noticed. A mom, a dad, and two small children. The children were on the swings, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth in unison. They pumped their legs at the same time and looked out on the horizon. The sun was setting and May still hadn't found her room. Now she was getting frustrated. What kind of college made it this difficult for students to find their room? Was this a prank? The possibilities were not kind to her. She pressed on the gas to hopefully get closer to her room. She found another chalk arrow. It was pointed straight at a brick wall. May got out of her car, stood in front of the damn thing, crossed her arms, and took deep breaths. She was seriously going to have a meltdown if some guy with a camera didn't turn the corner to surprise her with the knowledge that she was being pranked. Or maybe she would have a meltdown even if that happened. The jury was still out. <sighs> Poor May. At this point, she's almost certain she's losing her mind. She just stands there and looks at the nearest pedestrian. A black girl to her, but to us it's our wonderful journalist, Vincent only walking by on her way to La Vida Mocha, when May stops her to ask if she was also a student at OCC. Vincent gives her a look up and down, like she's not sure if she wants to get involved in whatever was going on with her, but finally gives in. Yes, she says, I am. Finally, May lets out a long sigh and asks where the housing complex was for new out-of-town students. This is where Vincent's smile gives her away. You're from out of town, she laughs. Good fucking luck. And then she walks away. Because of course she does. It's been years since she tried to befriend other humans in Overbrook, and she was damned if she tried again. But what a heartless move. Who does that? Just laughs and walks away. You'd think you'd kill her to be nice for once. Did you know that one time she pushed our friend down the stairs and blamed him when he broke a rib? No, really. You had to be there. If It was just, like, so... Shoot. Let me not get ahead of myself. This vision is about May, not Vincent. Anyway, May just looked disheartened as she watches Vincent walk away. Really, May's sanity is hanging on by a thread, so she goes back to her car, puts it in drive, and she keeps looping around town. The gas is getting low, but she doesn't stop for anything. She needs to clear her head, and a long drive has always helped her do that, even if her stomach was in the process of gnawing through her abdomen. So she drives, back past the park, and around the college. She doesn't notice how, in the rearview mirror, the same parents in the parks are now swinging by their necks. She doesn't even notice how the students' faces at the college seem malleable like she's looking at a first grader's best impression of a face using clay. She wouldn't, of course. She's only trying to find a room. The sun is about to set. The town is awash in an orange glow, like a hazy summer day that never ends. 
May finds the same antique store and the same brown-haired guy out front. She's talking with the same black girl that, while he's locking up for the day, May screeches to a halt in front of the store. She jumps out of the car. She's hungry. She's at the end of her rope. What the fuck is up with this place? She asks. The black girl raises an eyebrow, but doesn't answer. The brown-haired guy is stunned. He looks between both of them before he addresses May. Hi, he says. Can I help you? He's so fucking pitiful when he asks this that it somehow helps calm the girl down. She clears her throat, almost aware of how insane she looks by parking halfway on the sidewalk. Sorry, she says. I'm just trying to find out where my room is. I'm supposed to be starting at OCC. The guy blinks. His jaw opens and looks at the black girl. She's rolling her eyes and doesn't answer. Vincent, he says, come on. And she groans because, God, she wasn't really trying to get mixed up in all of this. Do you know where it's supposed to be? She says. May goes, I was following the chalk outline outside that says housing. The girl freezes, looks at the guy, then asks May, you didn't go in the opposite direction, did you? And that's when things break bad. May goes, um, I mean, it went to a brick wall, so I had to go back. The black girl grabs the brown-haired guy and pushes May back into her car. She jumps into the back seat and practically screams at May, drive, and she does. She hits the gas pretty fucking hard so that everyone's thrown back. When May looks into her rearview mirror, that's when she notices something very odd, something that doesn't seem quite right. You know, there are a lot of things lurking in Overbrook. Many things which don't even have any sense. At least, not according to Vincent. Rules that can't be broken, or maybe they can be just on every alternating Thursday. Things that are mostly safe in town, but even those that are, never truly are. Like the infinite coffee at La Vida Mocha. It doesn't matter if you put a single drop in a second container. That single drop will just grow until it overflows, spilling out onto the street and filling every bottomless pothole it finds. The rule with the chalk arrows Vincent finds is that if you start following them, you have to keep going. If you turn back, if you go exactly the way you came, things in your rearview mirror are more twisted and closer than they appear. In this case, it was a figure. No matter how far May drove, no matter how hard she hit the gas, the figure stood exactly in the same place in the mirror, yet somehow closer. You see, when May circled back until she interacted with Wynne and Vincent, well, that pulled them into this little pocket world that May found herself in. A pocket world in which there were only two ways of getting out of there. <clears throat> oh. oh, God, I'm thirsty. Where's my water? There's usually supposed to be water at the podium by now. Steve, did you forget my water? Or was it Zalnax's turn? Thank you. Now, where was I? Right. They were in the car. There was something in the rearview mirror that was getting closer the further they drove. Meg was confused at first. Then immediately, the adrenaline shot up because, silly her, she's the one that's supposed to be driving. Vincent yells, keep your fucking eyes on the road, but May's screaming, what the hell is that? Wins all, why are we being chased? And Vincent isn't answering that question at all, not because she finds a name, though of course she does, but because she doesn't know. And on and on this goes, just rubber burning against the road, the setting sun in their eyes, and a black dot becoming more all-consuming in the rear of your mirror, screams filling the car, hearts beating loudly in their ears, they almost don't notice the small cat running across the street. Vincent yells, watch out for Einstein. May hits the brakes. <sighs> 
The car skids. Drifts in a circle until it hits something big and immovable. The brick wall. Everyone lurches forward, and when the dust settles, Vincent slowly looks up. In the rearview mirror, she doesn't see the moving dot at all. All she can see is Wynne's broken neck. May, in the driver's seat, hasn't come away from this unscathed. Her arm is somehow dislocated, and as she cries out for her mother, Vincent unbuckles her seatbelt, gets out of her car. She walks home, ever the heartless journalist. It wasn't until the ambulance arrived for Wynne's body that May finally noticed. These people don't have faces at all. They move and act and speak as though they do, and she fully understands them, though she isn't sure how this is possible. She thinks it's a symptom of shock. The car accident was so horrific that her mind just isn't processing it. She finds her room. It's not exactly a dorm room, but a studio apartment just beyond the original brick wall that the chalk arrow was pointing to. Some part of her feels stupid for never going around to check. The other part feels like she could go for a three-week-long coma, but her entire part feels terrible over Wynne's fate, never knowing his name, and thus not knowing where his funeral would be. She decides to do the one decent thing she can since she first came to town. She picks up a bouquet of flowers and brings them to the antique store where she initially met him. May sets it down next to the door, a small altar for the kind boy who actually said hello to her on her first day. But then, right before she takes a step back, the door to the antique shop opens, and right there stands Wynne, and she screams. Honestly, I think we could workshop that into a pretty good play. What do you think of the title of The Misfortune of One Ophelia May? I know Ophelia isn't her last name, but I think it adds some class. We could also workshop the car scene to be something a bit different if we want to actually keep it on stage. So, This episode was written by me, Reese Tirado. Voice of Locke was Ford Blue. Listeners, we've come to the end of season one, and I just want to thank you so much for coming back every two weeks to listen to Overbrook. It means so much to us. While we work on bringing you season two, we'll also be releasing episode bloopers, horoscopes by Locke, and we'll even be doing a Q&A episode. So if you have any questions you want us to answer, you can either tweet them at us uh, on Twitter at OverbrookPod. Uh, you can send an ask to our Tumblr, overbrookpod.tumblr.com. Or you can just email us uh, e- email us at overbrookpod at protonmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you'd like to support the show, please join our Patreon, which will be linked in the show notes.